Flavor Odyssey is brought to you by Drew Estate, the rebirth of cigars, and Smokin' Cigars, voted number one in selection and customer service. A Flavor Odyssey. And now from Cigar Dojo Studio Lot B, your hosts, Robbie Rass and Randy Griggs. Welcome to A Flavor Odyssey. I'm your host, Randy Griggs, airing live from Lot B, Cigar Dojo Studios. And we will not be joined by our regular host, Robbie Rass, today, as he was unable to make it. We wish Robbie well and look forward to having him back next week. And I will be joined today, though, by the boys back at the Cigar Dojo headquarters, Eric and Jordan. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for joining live on Facebook for the show here today. And we'd love to ask everybody to share this feed. That sure does help us. And if you're listening on the podcast and you like the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. We at A Flavor Odyssey are happy to be presented by our friends at Drew Estate. Drew Estate is a wonderful cigar company that prides themselves on innovation and knowing the next big thing. That's probably why Drew Estate sponsored an amazing program like ours, and also why they hired that guy Jack Hyatt. And I might say, off record, that I, Randy Griggs, think Jack is amazing and has great head of hair. <laughs> Drew Estate has cigars of every kind for every cigar smoker, whether it's something sweet for the heat, like Deadwood Sweet Jane, something refined and Cubanesque, like Herrera Escalade, or something to celebrate a special occasion in life, like Liga Pravada, Drew Estate has you covered. You can find Drew Estate anywhere cigars are sold. Head to drewestate.com forward slash store locator to find the shop nearest you and experience the rebirth of cigars. Jack uh, maybe say all of that. Eric and Jordan, how you guys doing? Good, brother. Uh, hang on one second. The MacBook Pro microphone should be music. And, uh, I think it's hearing us. Hopefully we're still on the air. Eric and Jordan are figuring out a, a little something. But uh, while they're figuring it out, uh, we are going to be covering what do you mean? Uh, Sour Beers Suck. Change my mind is the title that we went with for today's show. And my trusty leader Eric Gatormson does not not enjoy sour beer. Uh, So it is going to be the duty of George Gatormson and myself to uh, convince him that they are worth. And that's genuinely how I feel. Uh, I am going to be drinking a. Belgian sour beer by the name of Duchess de Bourgogne today. Uh, this is a barrel-aged Flanders red. And I will be pairing that with the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Red Meat Lover Club collaboration cigar. Uh, my understanding is this cigar should have some very meaty and savory characteristics as it was blended to pair great with a steak dinner. And I believe that some of the sour and barrel age characteristics of my beer today are going to make a fabulous pairing. Eric, are you ready? I am here, by golly. I cannot wait to have my mind changed. because. Uh, so here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I've just never been a big fan of sour beers. It's like I might as well be drinking kombucha or something. I don't know. I... And and then not only that, but like with a cigar, like it just does. It never seems to be like a good pairing. So, but Jordan assures me, and so does Randy, that it can be done. It can be done. And um, Jordan, do you want to tell uh, people what you've what you've uh, queued up for me tonight? Because what uh, did I buy? I bought uh, Russian River. Is it supplication? Yeah. Yes, supplication. <laughs> you can show it. I've here. already forgotten. Show it. <laughs> this is it here. 
The Supplication by Russian River. Now, why did you pick this, Jordan? Well, uh, I was kind of going for a uh, chocolate-covered cherries situation with my pairing. Mm. So that's kind of a that's the, that's your cherries, and I'm got, and the cigar is going to be nice and chocolatey. All right. Well, don't give too much away. But Randy, well, um, I had to. In I order know to tell you why I picked that. Beer. I know. I'm just saying, um, Randy. Just, just, uh, Tell me when you want me to open this, and I will. Well, let's get going. Ah, let's do it. That bad boy up. Yeah, well, um, I'll tell you, I, I did not look it up, but off the top of my head, I'm quite familiar with that beer. Russian River is a local brewery to us here in the Bay Area. It's just about 45 minutes north uh, in Sonoma Valley. <laughs> are, are you afraid I'm, of that cage? Yeah, I don't want it to like pop pop me in the eyeball or anything. It's like a... It, it, it shouldn't have the same effervescence twist. as champagne, but uh, <laughs> but but See, but this is actually stylistically very similar to the beer that I have uh, in front of me. This is a uh, Flanders Brown that is aged in Pinot Noir barrels and aged for eighteen months on sour cherries. Hence, the cherry aspect of that beer. I'm going to pour it in this deliciously amazing looking uh, flavor Odyssey glass. Read the label so we know what's going on with that beer. Oh, dude, I can't read my, oh, uh, gosh. my eyes. I'm that's that's the one I just described. I'm too old. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about your beer. No, no, it's uh, my my beer. I went with a beer that has no fruit additions, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit with sour beers. Uh, it is quite common to uh, add some additional fruit. Uh, a lot of the fruit additions often are to add some additional sweetness to balance the sourness. In the case of that beer, they actually added uh, sour cherries to uh, add sweetness, but also to amplify the acidity. Ah. Oh, baby. So, so this, is pr- this one's seasonal, right? It's, it's not like I don't see this uh, on the shelves too often. Supplications now year-round. Um, well, they, they, it's, it's like we uh, always say oh, with geez, cigars. you got a hefty it's, pour. Yeah, <laughs> I was left with uh, this. Well, I, you know, I'm the star of the show, so that's the way it goes. Uh, it, it's uh, it's limited God, production, like sours. but but it is year round. So it's uh, they only make so much of it, so it's probably not available on every shelf every day. But um, but it is uh, made re- year round. And there will be no shotgunning of sour beers. On, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Randy. I, I appreciate that that Chad 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 to Chad more Chad. specifically uh, has now completely blown me away on uh, Dojo Verse, and now he also <laughs> wants to try and embarrass me on on my own show. No, he that's, passed that's up just... Sensei today. He did. I passed him back. Though. You passed him. Back. I, I passed okay. him back. It's like okay. Monsters Monsters Inc. situation. Yeah, basically, he's 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 basically the Randall of Monsters Inc. And I'm Sully. <laughs> I'm Sully. I love, I, I, I love you, Chad. I like it's fun. But um, we will suspend your account if you do that again. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so uh, here's the thing. I want to know, Jordan. Yes. When you were in the um, should I, can I, could I convince Master Sensei that sour beers don't suck, you said I'm going to go for this sort of dark cherry... Chocolate covered cherry. Chocolate covered cherry. Sort going of, for. And sort somehow of there was like this notion that I'm like this expert in like sour beers and cigar pairings, but uh, it was I, I don't know where that came from. Randy made it up somewhere <laughs> along the way. <laughs> but I do think I can do it. So I just made this up on, on, on top of my head, and I think it'll be good. Who knows? All right. Should I say well, say what cigar that you picked for let's me? Let's do it. Oh yeah. So this time, Randy. Um, Jordan picked the HVC, but it's the Broadleaf. broadleaf. The HVC Broadleaf. Now regular production. Now, why, Jordan, did that cigar come to mind? A, the cigar is awesome. In the Toro size especially. Robusto size is good, too. Toro size yep. absolutely kills it. And it's got a lot of chocolatey notes. I thought it would be perfect for my chocolate-covered cherries experiment. What what cigar did you go with, Randy? You went with uh... the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Red Meat Lovers Club. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I saw so you're going post- sort of more of a savory kind of an angle. That's exactly right. So I was literally, I I, I read to my son as <laughs> as, as, I, as I should, yeah. but the but the books that I have are 
either flavor or beer related almost exclusively. <laughs> uh, so I, I was reading him um, the guide to craft beer. You know, what all seven month old of course. need to hear about. Yeah. Uh, and and I got to uh, I got to a pairing combination uh, little chart that they have in here, and it points out that pairing sour, tart, and funky with umami adds earthy notes and is refreshing on the palate, and it is, makes for a good palate cleanser and uh, kind of primes your palate for that next bite of savory and potentially salty steak. And so uh, I literally read that line and called you guys and was like, you know what? We're doing sour <laughs> sour beer pairing for the wild card episode. Um, so I, I, since it was a steak pairing specifically, I couldn't think of a better cigar to pair with. I uh, like that still. strategy. I don't know if I talked about this. I might have talked about this last week on the show, but I, sometimes when I don't know what to pair with and I have to just come up with something on the top of my head, I'll find what that beer or wine or whatever pairs with food-wise, and then try to imagine what that food is for me as a cigar. Totally. Is that That's... too weird? But th- I don't know. That's what I do. Virtually all of season one of Flavor Odyssey was determined exactly that way. Okay. <laughs> I, all, all my you know career experience is in pairing beer and food, and so exactly, you know, I tried to find... Um, uh, synergies, if you will, in uh, in food and cigars, and thought, you know, if if that's going to be um, bitter or sweet or salty, um, and just kind of lean on that as uh, what I was hoping would be a flavor hook. Now, Randy, I assume that as you started to read this to your son, within the first <laughs> four words, he was sleeping. Oh put, no, man. Put him my out. kid. Bro, you, you guys are gonna trip when you meet Andre. He has my energy like you wouldn't believe. Like he is enthralled when Dad reads to him. We read the um, the story of Pilsner or Quell together. <laughs> and, <laughs> and was, I thought you just did that for the photo op. You actually uh, read him these books. No. Oh uh, no, it took us like you know he, he's he gets um he does he does either get restless or tired, you know, after a short amount of time. And so you only get through about a quarter of a, of a, you know, simple book like that with him. Um, so it took like a good week and a half to go through that. And like, then we show him the pages. I'll tell you, my wife, my wife is going to kill Isn't me. Isn't that she child made... abuse? <laughs> Bubba Hotep, is there an AA meeting for babies? <laughs> <clears throat> my, my wife is almost certain that my son will say the word beer before he says mama. <laughs> but uh he he loves the photos he loves the stories you know he's learning about i got a strong belief you know i've spent some time in europe and when you go to western europe and you see like seven to twelve year olds literally drink a beer at the table with you know the family um and it's just not a taboo and so they don't have this whole you know, when we turn 21, everyone wants to go to Vegas or go to some crazy party where they drink themselves nearly to death because it was so taboo. They weren't allowed to have it until such an age. Right. And so uh, I'm, I subscribe to more of a, you know, introduce it as an adult uh, behavior that, um, that that you can kind of have a little sneak peek at it, uh, you know, here and there as a, in a mature way. And then it's just not that exciting for them to go out and try and you know get trash drunk as soon I as totally they're agree with that. I do the same thing with guns, you know, <laughs> with my kids. I just raise them, you know, like did Jordan have a, a little taste? A, a handgun by the, by the time he was twelve? Oh, yeah, and they were they were shooting all kinds of, of well, guns by the time they were like seven. This is not a real gun, but when we used to cat we were way into the airsoft scene, you know? And we had like an entire like cabinet just fully decked out with like as many airsoft guns as you can imagine and one time we got the cops called on us and the, they came in and they're like well let's see what you guys got and they like open up the cabinet and they're like oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> jeez you guys they were impressed they were impressed <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd imagine that sounds impressive so randy all right uh, how long have sour beers been a thing and how did that come to be because that interests me like you know sour beers just don't seem to be like something that you know that would be um you, that you would just think of right away like it's, it's almost like you know popcorn or something this had to have happened by mistake like how did this come to be well so the reality is um 
sour beers would have existed before uh, clean beers, as, as we refer to them, um, because it wasn't until we had better uh, techniques and cleaning regimens that you'd be able to actually keep these uh, naturally occurring bacteria, fungus, and, and yeast out of your beer in the first place. So all beer would have soured uh, pretty quickly uh, before the um, the 1700s when you know yeast and microscopes were uh, discovered and invented. Um, so sour beer has been around as long as beer. So we're talking, you know, ancient Samaria. Um, so okay, well, let me said, re- let me rephrase my question then. When did uh, it come back into fashion? Because this hasn't. I mean, hey, I'm fifty, almost fifty-five. I don't remember. I think like ten years ago. I don't remember sour beers until recently. It seems like to me. Uh, well. It, Sure. For the American market, it wasn't as popularized, um, but the monks have been making sour beers in Belgium nonstop for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like these breweries, uh, the brewery that I'm drinking here, Duchess de Bourgogne, I want to say started in 1874. Um, So it's not new at all. The popularization on the American market is I mean even then it's still probably closer to twenty years old, uh, Jordan. It and it's uh, I don't know. Some people would argue that they're not even that popular now. Only with you know the beer geek you, you know niche crowd. But um, I'll tell you that there has been some breweries. You know the brewery in Placencia, California, uh, was a big step forward in popularizing them as well. Well, New Belgium actually no. You know what? I do have the answer to your question. New Belgium. In 1989, won the gold medal for specialty beer with La Folie. And that's right there out of Fort Collins, Colorado. I almost bought that uh, today for the show. That was the first American-Belgian beer. Um, well, I mean, recognized. It's, it was such a big deal that the following year in 1990, they actually created the sour beer category for the Great American Beer Festival for the first time. Uh, again, there wasn't a category for it, so New Belgium had to enter it in uh, into the specialty category, one gold, and they decided the next year that we need to make a whole category for this, and it's been going, uh, you know, trending upward ever since. I feel like at, when I when I was getting into sours, I don't know how long back, it was like very clearly like, oh, I'm I'm drinking a sour, like you would go and specifically buy a sour, and nowadays like. You find tartness in all kinds of beers. They don't even like. They don't have to tell you like on the label like this one's sour. Is that- well, you use a you use an interesting word there in tartness, because um, that was definitely one of the things I wanted to talk about here. Because there is, you know, tart. We use the term tart. Well, first, here, let me let, let me start by saying, uh, so my whole theory here, Eric, is you and anybody else that thinks they don't like sour beers have a notion of what a sour beer is and maybe haven't really experienced enough of them to have even given a, a, a chance to find one that really did uh, suit their palate. So the first thing I wanted to say is acidity is what makes beer sour. It, acidity and sourness are the exact same thing. When we talk about the five tastes on your tongue of umami, sour, bitter, sweet, and salty, uh, it, it is acidity specific. Specifically, that you are um, perceiving that we denote as sour. And so there's different levels of sourness and acidity. And so uh, a regular IPA, say, a regular beer is 5.2 pH, the pH of 5.2. And as you go down, it gets more acidic. And so by the time you're in the mid to low fours, you're talking about a tart beer that could be. Um, something to your point, Jordan, that's not even uh, marketed as a sour beer per se, but it could be something with a fruit addition. Uh, hibiscus is known to be pretty sour, so you could get a, a hibiscus pale ale, for instance, and it's going to be slightly more acidic than your standard pale ale. And you're going to denote that by by uh, some sensation you're getting on your tongue, some tactile uh, sensation. And, uh, and then you can go all the way down into the high to mid threes, and now you're talking about could peel paint off the car sour, you know, very, very acidic. Um, and so there's a pretty wide range of that. And we use the term tart to infer a, 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 light, a lighter sourness. Uh, 
<laughs> Thank you for that, Troy. That was actually pretty funny. Um, but um, so so it's the acids that you find. So I, I said it's acidity that that causes it. But um, so it's primarily lactic acid that causes that uh, bright, sharp sourness. Uh, lactic acid is the same acid that is found in yogurt, buttermilk, and other sour dairy products. Um, and that can literally be added like as a home brewer when you're going for competition. If you want to be a little bit more sour and it didn't come out as sour as you wanted, you could literally buy pure uh, lactic acid and spike your beer with it, and it'll acidify it what? and turn it in, into more sour. Yeah, that's a fact. Could I put it in a PBR? So, could, I do, could I do that? Is that sour PBR? Yeah. yeah. Wow. As, absolutely. You, you can go to your like, home brew shop. This is like post-fermentation. Uh, you can just like have the beer and just... Yeah, to Eric's there? point, you could buy a commercial beer off the shelf, go to your homebrew shop, get a little four-ounce bottle of lactic acid, use a little dropper, and drop a couple drops in, and you will sour that beer. Interesting. Wow, I was just kind of yeah. kidding. Let's now, do it. <laughs> right now. No, it's 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 a lot of fun. No, we, we, I've, I've done little, like, uh, experiments with it for education classes. And, yeah, you can sour anything uh, with pure lactic acid. Now, the lactic acid is... Uh, that's used in breweries is typically created through a natural process of fermentation that you actually add lactobacillus or pediococcus or um, both. Whoa, whoa, it's uh, a family bacterias. show. Bacteria. Family show. <laughs> family show. <laughs> they're they're bacteria that actually eat the the sugars uh, from the grain the same way the yeast does, but instead of excreting CO2 and ethanol, they excrete lactic acid and sometimes CO2 as well. Um, and so that's what sours it, uh, as I talked about as we were leading into, into this. So, you know, the, the big differentiation that I, I thought was important that people understand is barrel sours versus kettle sours. So kettle sour means that you've added lactic acid during the brewing process, and it happens very quickly. You can just raise the temperature to about 100 degrees and let it sit overnight. You come back the next day and finish your brew, where, like I said, the, both the beers that we're all drinking tonight – uh, we're aged for 18 months with this uh, lactobacillus. So it very slowly developed the acid. Um, but Goza's and uh, Berliner Weisses are the most common. Goza's are real uh, common on the market now. It's spelled G-O-S-E, but it's a German word, so it's actually Goza is the proper pronunciation. Goza. Those are made you know, just an extra day longer than a, than a typical beer, and it has that bright sour and uh, sometimes just a slight tangy uh, tartness. The Berliners it. are super popular right now. The trendy Weldworks type stuff. Sure. Oh, they're, yeah, Weldworks. They're, they're not really tart stuff. at all. I mean, barely. So the, so the difference between a Berliner Weiss and a Goza would be a, a traditional Goza uses sea salt, table salt, and or coriander in them. So they have more of a salty characteristic and the traditional ones are much lower in ABV, like a Berliner Weiss uh, in Germany, if you went and found one would be three and a half to 4% alcohol. Very, very low ABV. They're just refreshing, easy drinking after work, just kind of pound back a couple of them uh, without a lot of alcohol in them. And they're typically served with either uh, Woodruff syrup or raspberry syrup. Um, so it's a very, very different beverage. Randy, in, in Matt general. wants to know about adding yogurt to a uh, beer. <laughs> yeah, yo yogurt. No, it's it's, a, a, it's a great question. It, yeah, it is a thing. That's uh, that's a great culture of lactic acid um, or of lacto lactobacillus in general. So yeah, if, as long as it's a non-pasteurized yogurt, you could absolutely add yogurt to your fermenter and produce a sour beer as a result. So then maybe you're getting the lactose and the and the sour all in one. Yeah, it'd be like a, a milk goza. That's actually, you Which might be onto something probably there, Matt. Probably a thing. <laughs> yeah. well, let's try, I think we should try that. Um, so, no, Ra Randy, I, I, uh, where, like, we always talk about, like, the, you know, evolution of a cigar smoker and, like, you know, how we wrote an article, actually Jack wrote an article about that, how, like, you know, cigar smokers advance, you know, they... They first, you know, they get their hands on like a cigar when they're golfing and then they move on to like they get a cube and blah, blah, blah. And eventually, you know, they come full circle. Where does sour beers fit in the evolution of like a craft beer drinker? I mean, is this is this like a passing fad that, that they get into for a while and they move on? Or is this something that like has staying power, you think? 
I think it can be both. I, I've definitely seen people get you know geeked out, really into them, and then just burn out, realize that it didn't necessarily have uh, the elements that they'd want to drink every day. I've been a sour beer drinker for a long, 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 long time. I'll continue to drink sour beers till the day I die, God willing. And uh, it, but it's not an everyday beer for me. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm a beer drinker mostly, but every once in a while I like to mix it up and, and grab a uh, and grab a, a bottle of wine. I look at it as the same way. And actually, so as far as evolution goes, what I've always told people is we find that. Uh, it's easier for wine drinkers to convert to sour beer than it is for like an IPA drinker because, you know, they're, they're IPA drinker. You're so focused on bitterness. It's such an opposite end of the spectrum where wine is actually more acidic than beer is. Right. And so it's more uh, there's an acidity level that's more similar there. And so that's one of the things I thought about you, Eric, is, you know, you're a regular wine drinker. Right. And so I was hoping that. You know, again, I, I believe a lot of a lot of people. You know, I saw Troy putting some disparaging words down there about uh, sour beer. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is the mystery of it. People don't really understand it. They don't. Um, you know, they get blown away by the sourness, and so they're they're missing out on some of the complexities. Because uh, in beers like you're drinking and like I'm drinking, uh, that sourness and that vinegary uh, acidity can be such a prominent characteristic that you get hung up on it and you don't look for the complexities and the other layers of flavors that are there that you might find really pleasant, but you never took the time to pay attention to them. Actually, I think that that's a pretty good point. Like as I was drinking this sour, I, I did uh, get the same sense as I have with some wines. That was a pretty good point. Like as I was drinking it, you were saying that, and it was really making sense to me, like that bit. Of, like I don't know if it's like tannins or I, what it is that you, with wine that 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 kind of like gets you on the sides of your. People have no problem approaching sour candy. Come mm. on, what's what's so scary about That's the a beer? Point, right? But it's not yeah, not necessarily. You're not going to necessarily have sour candy with a cigar. Well, no, see, I now, felt like we were kind of just talking about sour beers in okay, general. Yeah. And that and that's where that's where we do throw it back on Jordan. So, uh, Randy didn't make that up. Uh, Jordan and Randy were having <laughs> no a conversation poolside, and we were talking about how we both love sour beer. And Jordan goes, "What do you think about pairing sour beer with cigars?" And I said, "Well, I don't think much of it at all, Jordan. I don't, I don't think it'd go very well." And he disagreed with me. And no. now we're doing this show. <laughs> this, is what, this is what happened. We were we were tasting the acid twenty for the first time. And yeah. we were trying to find a pairing for it. And I said, this cigar's, a cigar like this is so weird. I bet it would pair well with the sour because it's just, you know, you've got two weird things it's going so together. Atypical. So, yeah, two atypical things. Why not throw them together? And it actually was pretty dank. Probably the best pairing I've had for a, an infused cigar. Hmm. But mm. I think I thought you could also do it with a regular cigar, too. And I think I'm doing not too bad so far. Hey, you know, Randy, earlier you were talking about the the different parts of your tongue and the flavors that you taste. And like, I've read, like some people are like totally against the idea that there's really like an umami part of the tongue. Sounds to me like you acknowledge that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, I, I guarantee you that there's some people that say there's no, no real such thing as that umami, but I get that a lot. But is it just a combination of the salty and the sweet, or is it an actual, you know, a flavor receptor on my tongue. Yeah, it is a, a taste receptor on your tongue that's been scientifically proven now. There's actually two more. So there's five that are scientifically proven that I've already listed. Okay. There's two more that they're trying to scientifically prove that are in many flavor uh, industry circles believed that uh, do exist as well, and that's fat and metallic. Mm. And I believe in our lifetimes it will be prove, proven uh, that that's a thing. And so it, it's it's kind of funny how the science on that has uh, developed just in my lifetime. And over the last 30 years, when I was in school, there was the, uh, a map of four flavors. said you only taste salty here. You only right. taste sour here. You only taste sweet here. What they've actually determined is that you have different concentrations. So you taste all five of those things throughout your tongue. But the receptors are more concentrated in certain areas. So it does lend some credence to that old uh, tongue map. But if you guys Googled new tongue map, 
you'll find that. It, that be it, careful. It, it, hey, it's, wait, wait. Be very careful when you Google that. Just be very, yeah, don't, very. Don't, don't have your kids <laughs> around when you when you do that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, so, so it, it has been changed, and um, and and like I said, it, that's that's a, a fact. And I'll tell you. So the, uh, you know, I I've done. Uh, taste recepting um, little courses and exercises. And the the thing that you can, if you want to at home, uh, understand better what umami really means. And and umami is a Japanese word that translates to deliciousness, but we we use the term savory in English. And so uh, if you want to know what exactly that is, because it's it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit vague to hear people say, you know, ripe, uh, tomatoes or um, portobello mushrooms or aged steak are all things that are heavy in umami. Um, there's uh, uh, monosodium glutinate. Uh, you can buy it in the store under the name Accent, and it looks like salt, uh, but it's straight MSG, and MSG's got a very, very bad um, reputation, and some people have allergic reactions to it. Uh, so, you know, you should be aware of how your body responds to MSG before you just start spiking little uh, cups of water because Randy said so. Uh, but I, I put monosodium glutinate in water and taste it, and you get that savory. It's almost it's almost like a salty richness, but it's it's that very rich mushroom steak red meat kind of character um, that makes food delicious hmm. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I sense it. I mean, I'm believe me, I'm not arguing against it. I I would argue for it also. I just was curious because I do read people and they're like, oh, there's no such thing as that. It's just the combination of the other stuff. But I I do get that. Um, so in this, guys, uh, Jordan, Randy, you guys are got to talk me into this. Like when I sometimes when I want to give somebody a cigar. I will say to them a few key words that I feel like that when they do have that cigar, it's going to help them enjoy it. You know, like I'll, I might say like graham cracker and cinnamon, or I might say milk chocolate and coffee, just so that when they do eventually have it, it might make them hearken back to my words and they might enjoy it more. So help me enjoy this help sour beer. Like what... If if you guys were like trying to convince me, like what should I be pulling out of this? Like what are the things yeah. that are the best? Exactly. So what I was what I would say is you got to first see past some of that acidity and look for other characteristics that you would recognize. So again, as that was aged for eighteen months in wine barrels, Pinot Noir barrels, there should be a certain Pinot wine characteristic, some oak. Uh, notes that that should come across as vanilla-like, a l- little bit of a of a chocolatey note, and then it uses a, a dark caramel malt that is typically uh, described as having plum or prune characteristics, kind of that that dark stone fruit note, and then obviously uh, with the beer you're drinking, those uh, you should have a nice fruity character. Of, of the sour cherries as well. So you should get some cherry notes uh, in there as well. Like, uh, you mean, you know, like sweet tart candy, right? Sweet tarts? Sure. I'm just having a hard time getting past the the flavor of, uh, like, champagne on New Year's Eve. Like, it has that flavor of champagne. There's, like, I don't know if it's, like, a stomachy acid kind of, like, bile-ish flavor to it. And no, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm I'm being as no, sure. honest as I can be. Like I do like the tannin part of it that's similar to wine because I love wine. Yeah. But there's this a little bit of this like stomach bile kind of flavor that I have a hard time with. I think I think that's the thing that's that I stumble on the most. Well, the, I would ask you this because something that I I've learned about my palate, I. I enjoy acidic foods very much. Uh, to Jordan's earlier points, uh, Sour Patch Kids were my favorite candies when I was a kid. And today I eat a ton of Mexican food where I'll squeeze a lime and a half onto a plate of, of tacos because I just like very, very sour. So I'm, I'm a, I have a preference for sour food, and some people just don't. Do you 
tend to like sour things in general? Do you like a lot of lime? Uh, yeah, I love lime. <laughs> I love lime on my tacos. I will squeeze it as much as I can on there. And even in like a, a margarita, like, I mean, that kind of thing. Or in, yeah. I, I, I love adding that flavor. But those don't seem to have that stomach bile sort of flavor. And, and if, if anybody's wondering what I'm talking about, have you ever like accidentally kind of like thrown up in your mouth just a little bit? Like that's the kind of flavor that I get a little bit out of this. Jordan, do you get that, or am I, am I out of, or am I am I wrong on this? Well, what you're describing is acid. So, so yeah, I mean, you could see that. I could see that on the finish a little bit, but it's I wouldn't describe it like that. Are you picking up? Are you? And do you do fish and chips much, guys? Are you, are you familiar oh, with uh, right, malt right. vinegar? Much? Right, right, malt vinegar. Yeah, yeah. And I've had. Uh, I I often drink just on purpose uh, apple cider vinegar just on its own, just for like health reasons. Yeah, yeah. But like so, when I do that, Randy, I'm doing it knowing like this is supposed to be good for me, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but um, so. I, I keep uh, I kept referencing lactic acid, which is very clean and bright, and you wouldn't get that bile character. And why I bring up the uh, malt vinegar is that actually uses um, uh, a bacteria called Acetobacter that produces acetic acid. And acetic acid is literally what malt vinegar is uh, primarily made of. And so Acetobacter actually eats the alcohol. So when you're brewing it, Jordan, you have to – Brew it with regular yeast first, have the alcohol created, and then you add the acetobacter, mm. and then it consumes the alcohol and creates a different type of acid. So there's a whole family of acids out there. And so um, the, the acetic acid is a little bit less um, like refreshing and, and, and nice. It, it has that like kind of funkier character to it, which I could see leading to you, um, you know, remembering a the morning after a, a, a long drinking night and having a little bit of that, that, that bile character in, in your uh, in your throat. Right. I, I, I kind of don't mind the aftertaste, though. Like when I, you know, when I put rub my uh, tongue across my teeth, I, I, I like sort of, you mm-hmm. know, the the after effect of the sour beer. I think oh, see, I get most of that. I thought you were getting most of that on the finish. Like to me, like you're getting most of that sour bitter stuff through the finish and up front is like the cherries Mm. let me try again i mean let's try it again that's that's just me yeah you're drinking the same thing how how fruity is that one jordan because with live uh bugs in there no so the the more that beer ages uh you know it has live lactobacillus and pdo in there and so they're consuming some of that that fruitiness so when you try that beer really really fresh you get a big cherry fruity uh, character that does go away after six months or so. So is the the, uh, the bacteria still working in there right now? Like it, after I've opened it, it is. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. So is so, it, does so this? It has it has similar health uh, benefits to okay. you drinking apple cider vinegar. That was ex- that was exactly what I was just about to ask you. Is that good no. bacteria? So that's that's a plus. I'm gonna give it yeah. some points for that. As a, as a plus. Um, by the way, let's talk a little bit about the cigar uh, so that we don't get too far without this talking about it. This cigar is so incredibly good. This is a very, very good cigar. This, um, I, I have to say, I'm not a, a huge like broadleaf guy. Like Some guys just like gravitate towards it. They, that, that's like the only thing that they want. Like, oh, it's, it's broadleaf, it's broadleaf, it's broadleaf. And I don't dislike broadleaf. In fact, I like broadleaf, but it, that's not my... That's not generally what I gravitate towards. Uh, however, uh, this particular uh, broadleaf by HBC, it it is one of my favorites. It really brings out to me that cherry sort of flavor. So I get I get why Jordan paired this. It was a pretty genius pairing uh, because of the fact that this cigar has this really nice like dark cherry yeah it's sort of flavor. It's less on the earth than a usual broadleaf, more on the cocoa and yeah. cherry. Little vanilla, yeah, excellent, nice. excellent cigar. Yeah, in fact, uh, this is one of the few where um, I don't get a lot of of mineral earth from it at all. Like, it's no, not really. Mainly, you get like chocolate. I get a lot of uh, like black licorice kind of mm. anise type stuff. And yeah, I can see that. I can see the cherry through the finish. Yeah, I've I, I've had this cigar several times. And by the way, HVC. 
this is a company that is I I don't know why they're as little known as they are, but almost everything that Rainier does just blows me away. Like this guy knows how to. He's blend. just got a sharp palate. He has a extremely sharp palate. Um, how how is your Red Meat Lovers Club your Dunbarton uh, pairing, Randy? So I would say that it goes to the other side of uh, that kind of earthy and rich uh, notes. It definitely has some of that salty, savory character to it, but it's um, it, it's it's got nice chocolate in there. It's not so much sweet. It, it really lends more to that earthier uh, character. And I didn't look up what what rapper is this? Is this a, a broadleaf? I almost want to say that it is. Pretty sure it is. Do you know? Yeah, I am too. Um, but it's it, yeah, it's it's pretty toothy. Well, what like what made what made you gravitate to that cigar? Uh, just that just that steak, uh, you know, pairing concept that I was try- trying to pull out. And I knew I I've, I've smoked several of these. I, I knew that it was kind of meaty and and savory and rich like that. And and you know, you you I think you probably taught me this, Eric. You've talked very, uh, several times about actually putting the tobacco to your tongue. After you've cut the head, and you definitely get that salty right. note from the t- from the tobacco. And so I was thinking, savory and salty uh, was was going to pair really well with the the, um, the rich kind of again caramely, plum pruny, uh, raisin like uh, characteristics uh, of of the beer, along with in, in my in my Duchess de Bourgogne, I get a lot of the oak character. So there's a a, a nice charred wood uh, note there that. Um, I'm finding uh, is pairing actually quite well with the with the cigar. Yeah, is is sour is making a good okay. Like uh, I would say this, like making a good Maduro cigar, or let's just say let's just take like a Mexican San Andreas. It seems like, and and I apologize to any blender that's watching the show right now, but <laughs> it seems like you know making a decent San Andreas Maduro cigar is one of the easier sort of blending techniques because it, it's so powerful uh and it, and that does typically take over the blend and it can kind of cover up some flaws um what about sour beers is is a sour beer is a good sour beer like a hard uh beer to blend or to 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 brew or is that or is it easier because you have this you know this sour flavor that you can mask things with yeah, no, I would say it's actually uh, quite a bit more difficult because uh, developing uh, the those complexities underneath the sour. Because I, I once you really appreciate and know these beers pretty well, you can identify this is pretty one dimensional. It's just all acid. Uh, I'm not getting again, you know, I'm not getting those fruit characters. I'm not getting those wood characters. And and again, like I said, you know, you could try and turn it into a cherry version, and if it sits on the shelf too long with the live uh, bacteria in there, it's consuming some of those, some of those flavor components and drying the beer out and uh, literally making it less flavorful and more sour as it goes. So hitting a sweet spot with a sour beer uh, can be very tricky. Um, well, actually, you know, but before we get too much further, I did want to mention a couple of, of words, but because again, since it's such a mysterious kind of uh, segment of beer, uh, a lot of different terms and terminology is used. So uh, if you ever see, um, obviously, if it's a sour, it's pretty uh, apparent, but you'll see mixed fermentation, spontaneous fermentation, or there's one more I wanted to point out that uh, that are inferring that they allowed uh, nat- natural microflora uh, to do the um, to do the souring. Because like I said, if you don't keep a clean brewery, your beer is going to turn out sour even if you didn't intend it to. And you can almost always tell – like it's always been a joke in the beer industry of just like if your beer goes bad and you're brewing for competition, just enter it into a sour category. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But but it's – and you always could tell. And, you know, in homebrewer circles where – I've been around homebrewers uh, a long time. Uh, it was a lot more prevalent. It's like, well, this is kind of – of a sour brown ale. I didn't really intend for it to be sour, but it came out that way. It is um, now. You can, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can virtually always tell when it's just like a beer that was intended to be something and then ended up souring versus something that was very intentionally uh, created to be sour. All right, so I guess that, I guess that gets to my point, Randy, because um, 
like those 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 ones that just went bad naturally or or you know because you didn't know what you were doing um they may appeal to some guys but the guys that are really in the industry they they know the difference right between the ones that are intentionally a sour and the ones that maybe just came out sour because you didn't do things right yeah absolutely it's again because there's so many different acids that can uh be developed by so many different either wild yeasts or bacteria um you typically won't get that bright sharp uh refreshing uh acidity that that we actually will often add a uh add a uh, an inoculative pure lactobacillus and so a spontaneous um or uh ale would be a sour beer. All right, I'm trying to read Jack's comments. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is. So, there's so a brewery if, out here that just like has like a dirty brewery and they they make funky stuff. So as as far as that goes, like one of the the like kind of romanticized lores of Belgian uh, monasteries that make uh, sour beers is that they outdate uh, microscopes and labs. And so they, they, you know, there's an area in Belgium on the Seine River that is just known for having this perfect um, environment of microflora of Lactobacillus pediococcus um, and Britannomyces that is just naturally living in the air. And so if you just uh, make hot work as a as a brewer does, and you cool it and just leave it out overnight with the windows open, it will sour organically. Like these beers that the, the beer that I'm drinking here was not inoculated. This was actually just, they let the ambient air spontaneously ferment it. Hmm. And so that's where the term spontaneous fermentation comes from. Don't they like lay it um, on like thin sheets so that it can, more surface area so, can soak up what's in the air? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it'd be called a cool ship, which is, uh, which is like a, a copper, think of a giant freaking bathtub that's, you know, say 18 inches deep. And then to, to your point, Jordan, it gives a lot of surface area so that as the wind blows through and the, the breweries that have those actually will have um, open windows on either side. So that and they're they're literally aimed in the direction um, east to west so that the wind will blow through over the the cool work and inoculate it and get the fermentation going uh, spontaneously uh, where like like for a Russian river. Yeah, uh, you know the owner of Russian River and I have had discussions about it, where he likes to refer to his as spontaneously fermented, and I challenge that that's not totally accurate because he'll he'll take his cool ship, and he'll he had in his original pub he had a, a mobile cool ship that he could move around on a pallet jack. Well, he would park that in the room where he had all of his barrels, and it would spontaneously ferment in that room because the barrels already had all the lactobacillus and pediococcus and pertenomyces in them, but he had originally, uh, you know, poured those pure lab cultures into those barrels in the first place and then enclosed it. And so he kind of artificially created an environment where it would then spontaneously ferment. Um, and I would argue it's like, well, that's kind of the same thing <laughs> is inoculating isn't it like you, you didn't just park it out in the parking lot out back and have it happen <laughs> you know that's tricky uh, yeah yeah it's uh, he, he and i have had the some, line uh, where's the line yeah, yeah, yeah exactly like, if you ever came in this room with a lab for uh, you know culture then it wasn't spontaneous now sierra no. nevada sierra nevada did a project where they partnered with a um, i believe it was a peach uh orchard where they took a bunch of micro uh, macro bins, the big plastic bins that they uh, that they pick fruit into in agriculture. They filled those with wort. They they uh, chopped up a bunch of the peaches from that same farm. They put those in there, and then they just parked them overnight in the orchard, and then picked them up the next day and and barreled them. That is spontaneous fermentation. Uh, it's hard for us to get that um, as we're so close. To uh, <laughs> as we're close, so close to like big um, industrial cities and stuff like that. There's other stuff in the air that that's gonna um, give other characteristics that aren't that pleasant. Um, so you really have to be in a pretty rural area to have a clean ambient environment for that kind of thing. Now, don't you guys think that a lot of the more complex flavors in life are initially assaulting on the palate? Like 
you're getting into crazy cheeses. True. Dad, you love these crazy cheeses. Most people would taste one of those and be like, oh, my gosh. Mm, that's terrible. Good, that's a good Or point. even even beer itself. When you're like, <laughs> think about when you're a good teenager, the first few beers you had, you're like, well, this is terrible, but I have yeah. to just keep doing this until I learn to like it. Um, I think sours can be kind of a next level of that. Yeah, what is it about the human psyche? I mean, that's a good, like, psychological question. Like, what is it about the human psyche that makes us want to, like, challenge our palate in that way? How do you like, know when you're challenging your palate in the correct way or when you're like, no, I'm just I'm down a rabbit hole that's just <laughs> yeah. terrible. Why am I doing this? Yeah, like, this cheese well, is we, just bad. We let people before us do that, and then we, we can trust that, no, this is a real thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. And Eric, I think I've heard you on shows. I don't think we've ever spoken about it. But you're a blue cheese guy, right? You like big funky oh, stinky God, cheeses, yeah, don't yeah. you? Yeah, bring me bring yeah. me the funkiest cheese. I love it. See, now that's what I would tell you if we weren't specifically trying to pair with cigars. That's where I I would tell you that if you're really going to have your mind changed and start to acclimate and get comfortable and enjoy sour beers more, uh, uh, a beer just like this with with a plate of funky cheeses, um, and uh, and and some heavy heavy characteristics from cheese would go excellent with these beers because um, you know we talk about in in beer all the time that beer is the better pairing uh, beverage over wine even though wine and cheese is this romantic uh, pairing that everybody knows about it, it actually you know a sommelier would always tell you that one of the hardest things to truly pair with wine is cheese because mm. cheese, cheese is so fatty it coats your palate in such a way right. that it a actually prevents you from being able to pick up some of the the more nuanced lighter fruit characteristics of the wine where with beer because of the carbonation uh, they act like scrubbing bubbles mm. and they literally like will peel the the fat off your palate allowing you to taste the beer um acid also does that and so that's all wine has going for comparing with cheese no no the the beer <laughs> uh, when you when you, ha when you have the acidity there that also helps cut through the fattiness of the cheeses so i would recommend that if if you were to try and, and give it a go for a couple of weeks and try a couple different sour beers and see if you found a uh happy spot with th this beverage I would try it with some nice sticky cheeses. You know, you and April go down and get get a nice board of a couple different. Uh, uh, you know, get some uh, sheep milk brie and some blue cheese and some Roquefort and and try that with one of these beers. I think you might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, April loves kombucha, so I'm guessing she'd probably like this beer a lot. I'm not 100% convinced, but before we before we rate that, just I have a quick question for you, Randy. What would you say is the most difficult beer to brew to stay within the style of that beer? Like, is it really, really hard to just brew like a clean, like Pilsner or lager? Or is it harder to, you know, brew like a, a really good sour or some sort of, you know, IPA of some sort? Yeah, no, it's Bohemian Pilsner. I, I think really? nine out of 10 brewers would tell you Bohemian Pilsner is one of the harder ones because of the melatonins that, that uh, you're trying to achieve, get that that body uh, without darkening the beer or without imparting too much flavor. You want it to be very, very refreshing, clean, have that nice grainy flavor. Uh, the, the same argument that you made about uh, a San Andreas wrapper and going for something big and bold and strong and sweet, which is going to cover a lot of, you know, minor imperfections. Right. There's nothing to hide an imperfection in a Pilsner. You know, I, uh, anytime someone tells me, oh, you got to check out this little, you know, two-bit podunk brewery I went to, they have great stouts like right. well okay you can trip fall down and brew a pretty damn good stout um because you know li little imperfections are covered by those chocolate dark malts um so so yeah the, the same way i would imagine a connecticut is probably a pretty um, would be on the opposite end of that argument of being a blend that's uh that's tougher to to blend and have it be a right. perfect har harmony of flavors uh, the same goes for for beer, and so those pilsners that have just the light, nuanced flavors uh, are much, much tougher to brew. I think that's pretty much exactly what how I imagined that you would answer that question, but um, it's it's good for uh, verification purposes. All right, let's get to uh, guys. Should we should we do this? I'll be last. Uh, maybe we go with Jordan first yeah. as uh, to <clears throat> what you thought of this pairing and what. It, it's interesting. So, like, I mean. 
for this cigar, obviously this is not the best pairing. Like, just I have my whiskey here too, and that's that's a better pairing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if I was, if you're trying to go for a sour, and so I think I'm in the right direction. If you're trying to, if you're really trying to pair a sour with a cigar, this is the right direction. I think the beer has a bit too much bitterness on it to be a perfect pairing. Um, the cigar does help add some sweetness to the beer. Um, go, which is more in the realm of that chocolate-covered cherries thing. If there wasn't, there, if there was a little less of the bitterness, I think I would be, I would be there. I, I feel like I'm like a, one of Robbie's like, thumb sideways, thumb sideways <laughs> situations. Let's say you have to, you have if, to pick one. If we're going for the stuff, I think I'm gonna give it a thumbs up because oh, wow. this is pretty close, and it was fun, and it was something different, challenging for the palate, and it wasn't, wasn't bad. All right, uh, let's go with Randy, and then I'll tell you guys if you convinced me or not. All right. Uh, so I actually am very pleased with this. I got a lot of uh, nice caramel and, and chocolatey notes coming from the beer. The sourness actually um, gives a great palate cleansing to where every time I go to this cigar, it's almost as if it's the first draw off the cigar. I'm not having palate fatigue from just all that richness and all that earthiness. It's it's not uh, overwhelmingly mushroomy uh, as as I smoke through this big old thick Toro. Um, so I'm going thumbs up. I think this worked out pretty well. Wow. Thumbs up. So we have a couple thumbs up. Um, guys, I hate to tell you, but I got to go thumbs down. I this just, is for Randy. I, that's for Randy. <laughs> that's for Randy. Because uh, he's the only one that really counts. I can't. I cannot go thumbs up. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I wanted to so badly, but I feel like the sour takes away from this cigar. I've had the cigar uh, in other settings with other pairings, and I liked it better. And the beer is kind of taking away. It's it's grabbing some of that cherry flavor too much, and then it pulls it away from the cigar. So then when I go to the cigar, I don't get as much of that nice deep chocolate cherry as that I would I would like. And so because of that, the the sour takes away from that. I fully went into the show hoping that I would be able to just sit here right now and say, you guys convinced me, but I can't do that. I just feel like a sour beer is not a good pairing with cigars, and I'm not even sure that a sour beer is a good beer. I think you're just a guy that doesn't like cheese in this scenario. I love cheese in this scenario. <laughs> no, in this scenario, you're just like, I'm I can't so understand I'm these cheesers. I'm sorry, man. I, I'm just trying to be honest. I can't help it. I Well, can I, I ask you, Eric, yeah. did we at least interest you enough in maybe trying some other sours maybe with yes. some cheese and i think and, and I, th I think try the key, and find something like right that. i think the key randy was you 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 were the key because you brought up the the wine comparison and i like that comparison a lot because i do love i do love wines especially big bold wines and and wines that really challenge my palate and so i i think i do want to try more sour beers now just because of what you said there and so like i'm not i'm not going to just blindly say or, or you know flatly say right here on the air that i'll never that sour beers can never make a i, I might who knows maybe in six months from now i'll get it like i have to admit initially i was not a big ipa guy until I had a like a uh, triple or whatever, you know, I had like a big syrupy IPA, and then I loved IPAs, and now I like every kind of IPA. So like it took me a while to get into that mode, and so maybe this is the start where I could eventually six months from now tell you guys like I'm a big sour beer guy. I'm just not there yet. Randy, what do you think about like intensity? Like, I feel like a a, a sour of this intensity needs. It, this was a good cigar for that. Like, if you would have went a milder cigar, it would have just been completely overrun by the beer. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no. And uh, you're right. We didn't talk about intensity. I mean, I think it almost goes without saying, based on the rest of our descriptions, though, that uh, a, a sour beer like this, a barrel-aged sour, is a high-intensity beverage. I mean, I mean, there's no getting around. You're not gonna just like sip on one and not even think about. It, like like you might a, a lower ABV IPA or a Pilsner, where you can just drink it, not even think about the flavor that's in the glass. Um, I mean, this is gonna draw your attention to it every time you you raise it to your lips, no doubt. So yeah, you're you're gonna need a, a pretty big, hearty, uh, big flavored cigar to match it if you're gonna find anything good at all. And but you know what? Also, I we we talked a little bit about the the caramel richness. You know, something I I would. Um, 
Actually, I have a beer. I almost want to send you now, Eric. I have a beer from Rare Barrel uh, here in Berkeley. They do a, a golden sour with apricots mm. that, that is very, very wine-like. It has a, this great uh, light stone fruit, apricot character that um, I think is divine. The, you know, the, the ones that we both drank here today are pretty, like, high-end, heavy-duty sours. I think uh, something that's a little bit toned back, has that bright, uh, sharp acidity, but without that, um, I, I, I'm, I'm certain that, that you're picking up bile as, uh, as one of the acids um, that we could pick around at some other sours that you might find quite a bit more uh, pleasant. All right. Uh, now, Randy, um, next week, uh, yes. Flavor Odyssey continues. Uh, tell us what's on the uh, what's on the docket for the next yeah. few episodes of Flavor Odyssey. Yeah, so very exciting stuff. We are going to be uh, diving into the Sumatra leaf, and I got to hand it to my partner Robbie Raz. He did a great job at booking an outstanding uh, blender to kick off Sumatra with us. So next week, August fifth. We will have Pete Johnson of Tatuaje Cigars on, and we will be smoking his brand new TAA 2020. Um, that is a Sumatra-wrapped uh, cigar. He uses Sumatra in a lot of his cigar, or several of his cigars at least. And um, I'll tell you guys, I've already been studying on Sumatra tobacco. There's some really cool stuff that I've read this week about uh, Sumatra, Ecuadorian Sumatra. I didn't realize Ecuadorian Sumatra is actually a different varietal than Indonesian Sumatra. And so we'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk to Pete about uh, why he likes using it to blend, what kind of flavor characteristics it brings. And then, uh, you know, you can count on me over the course of those episodes to uh, nerd out a little bit and talk about the uh, the, the varietal and, and, and its origin in general. Are we killing um, it with these guests or what? I'm oh, flavor OD. I, 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 right. I, seriously, from, from, from Perdomo uh, to... Um, to to Dion Giolito, now to Pete Johnson. I I couldn't be more thrilled that, uh, you know, we we weren't going to have guests on in the first season and to to come in and start doing guests and get uh, the the bookings that we're getting is a true testament to Cigar Dojo and the weight it brings that people want to be involved in this community and and with the content to these shows. Uh, So I do want to real quickly list off those cigars so everyone gets a chance to um, seek out your local BNM, or if there isn't one close to you that carries them, uh, check out Smoke In is uh, the sponsor of all the cigars of Flavor Odyssey for season two. Uh, Smoke In has a fantastic cigar of the month program. They have an, an elite uh, selection of cigars, and so we, we will start again with the TA 2020. We'll move from there. Um, I got to figure out the, I don't have the, the order right in front of me, but it's the Oliva V Milanio. It's the Ashton VSG. And I do know for a fact that on August 19th, we will have a very special cigar that we'll be smoking. And uh, it releases tomorrow, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. That's right. It's, tomorrow's the big day. I hope everybody's ready because the Sun Grown Dogma hits tomorrow night Sundog at 7 baby. p.m. Eastern time and we will be live on Smokin's page. Uh, there won't be a smoke uh, there won't be a smoke night live Friday uh, because we're doing the big show tomorrow instead. So we'll be doing the big show tomorrow with Abe on the Facebook page releasing the Sun Grown Dogma and if you buy it tomorrow you've got a million chances to win a, a bunch of amazing Stuff tomorrow could be the it is the biggest night of the summer, Jordan. This is and our lives, <laughs> yes, Perhaps. biggest night of our lives. Uh, Friday, by the way, Friday, we will have a happy hour virtual herf with none other than uh, Rainier from HVC. So that's uh, that'll be fun, but no actual smoke night live. Um, and then, of course. As Randy said, Flavor Odyssey comes back next Wednesday a week from tonight with Pete Johnson. That's going to be amazing. Also, uh, Robbie just reviewed one such cigar today, uh, Pete Johnson cigar with the Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. That was the Little Boris. So if you want to mm. give that a, a glance. That's a good option to, to get for next week's show, right? actually. Yeah, so. if you can, if yep. well, you pretty much have to have it in your humidor right now because yeah. it's sold yep. out. But Those guys still. are sold out. So, Randy, thank you so much for taking us through uh, – 
Sours, brother. Uh, I appreciate it, and I'm going to try. I'm going to really work at trying to work it into my palate. I hope that I can make you proud, and six months from now I can tell you, man, that it was that show changed my life, so we'll see. All right. Fantastic, guys. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us, and we'll catch you next week on Flavor Odyssey.